listen to me. Let's do that hockey. Welcome everyone to Dauber Prospects Report. This is report number 14. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts, and here with me, as usual, Peter Harling. How you doing, Pete? Doing awesome, Victor. How about you? Yeah, man, I'm doing really well and excited to talk about some prospects that are on the move this episode. But before we do that, I think we wanted to talk a little bit about this Dynasty League that we talked about last year. I got to say, I was pretty overwhelmed by the response. We were hoping to recruit, you know, about maybe 16 or so people to play in the league. And we got a few more than that, didn't we? We're going to have to do two leagues because we can't fit them all in into one with the format, the way it's set up. So that's pretty awesome. And I'm really excited for it. So I guess I'll spearhead one and you'll spearhead another and listeners will get to uh, to go head to head against us in one of the weeks. And Evan's going to be in on it too. How you doing, Evan? Yeah, I'm I'm roasting here. I don't know if you guys are part of this heat wave that's just taking across, but I am I'm good. I'm just really hot, very hot in my house. Me and my dogs are all panning like fools. I live in Canada, so I think a heat wave for me is like a spring day for you. So True. I, you know, I've been to Dallas and I was just in Nashville. It was pretty hot there. So it's pretty hot, but you know, Evan and I both being in California and you being in Southern California, Evan, this is really nothing compared to what the rest of the continent usually experiences, but it it is hot for us and it's a little uncomfortable. That's for sure. So we talked on the last episode about the Dynasty League. We got to come up with a better name for it. What we've got working with right now, Dauber Prospects Report Dynasty League, something like that. We got to we'll come up with something a little bit more tasty than that. And we'll do a live draft. It'll be a slow draft. So that'll be fun. You'll have a couple hours to make your picks to be able to see it coming. You'll be able to make trades. It's going to be head to head every week with multi-category scoring. So it's not just going to be goals and assists and it's going to be deep. It's going to be talking about, you know, the players that we talk about on this podcast. So it's going to be fun to give you an opportunity to test your medal against alleged experts. And Evan. And so, Evan. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Evan. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be fun. And yeah. So if you're still interested, I think we do still have some spots since we're going to split it into two and the two leagues will be exactly the same as Pete mentioned. So Definitely get in there and also let us know since we're going to split the league in two. Pete and I don't have the bandwidth to each play in both leagues. So just tell us who your favorite of the two is and then you can be in that league. And then we'll and then we'll know that about you and we won't hold it against you at all. Don't worry about it. Oh, so, so what you're saying is my league will be the consolation league, right? When, once yours <laughs> is full, then I guess I'll go in the farling. I'm going with Pete now that Victor smack talking, oh man. <laughs> I mean, I expected as much anyway. So no, I mean, obviously <laughs> you can't be in both. So everybody's got to just choose. It doesn't matter to us, no hard feelings. So it's going to be a good, it's going to be a great time. So we're looking forward to it and we will set that up and start making leagues. I think we're actually going to even need to have some sort of way to chat. So I think we might set up a little discord to, to communicate with everyone because Big Twitter DMs and stuff like that are just not not conducive to that kind of league chat. So look out for that. Anyways, moving on, as we kind of teased earlier in today's report, we're going to talk about prospects who've recently been on the move, guys that have been traded, signed elsewhere. They're new faces and new places. And so that's what the topic for today is. Before we get started, we want to remind you that Dauber Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're excited to be part of the Army of Fantastic Hockey Podcasts. Please check out Hockey Pod Net for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN to listen to the show. More on that in a bit. And we also need to remind you of the 17th annual Dabra Hockey Fantasy Prospects Report. It's out. Both Pete and I contributed. Has already been updated with all of the draft and all these players that have moved. If you go in there and re-download, it's all been updated. And it will continue to be updated throughout the offseason. The guide is the Bible for dynasty managers with the lowdown on each team's NHL top prospects. There are write-ups of 500 prospects with upside wait time analysis, top 100 2023 drafted prospects, and top 50 NHL prospects and more. Get your copy on Dauber Prospects or at Dauber Hockey in the shop. All right. Are we ready to get started, though, Pete? Fire it up. So the first guy we're going to talk about is probably one of the bigger headlining names. And we're going to talk about a player who has a little bit more NHL experience, which is not usually the norm, but figured it was worth talking about Philip Zadina, who is on the move and going to be in a new place. And he was the sixth overall pick back from 2018. He's a pretty rostered on Fantrax, 53 percent. 
And we have our Detroit expert in Evan Sabrin. So we're going to get a little input from you. It didn't really work out in Detroit. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what happened there, Evan, before we talk about what we can expect in San Jose for him, because that's where he signed. Yeah, the 2018 draft was was a rough one for the Red Wings, and especially when you consider who was picked after Philip Zadina. You know, the, during the Wings rebuild, and it started right around that time, you know, they thought we had our bona fide goal scorer. The big guy was going to put the puck in the nets. And if you guys remember, he let the teams in front of him know, you know, specifically Ottawa, Arizona, and Montreal, that he was going to fill their nets with pucks. I saw mock drafts where he was even as high as the number two pick. And so when he slipped to six, the Wings couldn't run fast enough to the draft stage. They couldn't get there fast enough. The Red Wings ended up missing on like Quinn Hughes, Noah Dobson, Evan Bouchard. And I'm always curious where they would be in this rebuild had they got like one of those top defensemen. You know, he was going to be such a big part of this organization and he was given opportunities up and down the lineup. And it just seems like he could never adjust to the pace of the NHL. You know, he doesn't skate well with the puck. He doesn't play a physical game. He's not very fast. He has a kind of an awkward skating stride and he does possess a wicked shot. You know, I think he's best suited for like a second power play unit. He does have a wicked one timer from the right dot that has looked lethal at times. Like I said, he's battled some unfortunate injuries, and I think he was just adamant about a change of scenery. You know, he walked away from a contract that was he pretty much left five million dollars on the table with the Red Wings, and it had nothing guaranteed yet until San Jose signed him to a one year deal. My thoughts on him and what he could do in San Jose, I think he has the potential to be a 20 goal scorer, possibly if he develops some chemistry, maybe with the two wills in Eklund or Will Smith. But the change of scenery is what this guy needs. He just, it wasn't, it wasn't working in Detroit and maybe in San Jose, he can find some of that missed magic that we haven't been seeing from him that had him, you know, mocked so high in, in drafts. So it's, it'll be fun to see what he can do. I'm not sure if I'd draft him even in a deep dynasty league, but I don't know. I'm rooting for him. I think the potential is there, but I, he's just too one dimensional and I just not feeling it with him. Yeah, I mean, you bring up some really great points about Zadina, and it's always interesting when a guy like that does that, right? I still think about Elias Anderson throwing his silver medal into the crowd, and it's like, you know, I love it. I love the confidence, but also, like, that can supremely backfire if things don't go really well, and it it seemed a little bit like that for Zadina. It's interesting. If you look at his equivalency, like you mentioned, people were really high on him. He had a 25% star potential in his draft season, which kind of trended down over the the four developmental years. And as a D4, he graduated with just 8% chance of being a star in the hockey prospecting model, but a, a near lock to be an NHLer because he was in the NHL those last couple of years. He looks like a lot of really strong players like Jason Pominville, Esatikinen, Timo Meyer. Statistically, he looks a lot like those guys in the equivalency models. Of course, he hasn't translated at all. If you look at the underlying metrics at like evolving hockey, his course he against is awful. He is, he does have actually a really strong expected goals for per 60, even though the actual goals for are really quite terrible. So I guess you could say he's either unlucky or his finishing talent hasn't really translated to the NHL as it did in the lower levels. That's certainly possible, but he's not someone who is going to be out there for his defensive acumen. That's for sure. And one of the other things I pulled up is Corey Schneider has his tracking data and actually, his underlying numbers offensively are pretty good in terms of his shot contributions, expected goals, setup, passes to the center lane, and deflections, and those kinds of things all look really good. His defensive numbers are pretty bad, and so are his like his transition data. So, like you said, a lot of wanting there. I am excited for a new opportunity. I think, like has been said, he definitely needed out. I think it was really interesting that he didn't play out the contract and just bet on himself asking for the contract termination. And it certainly seems like he wanted to go to San Jose because one of the things he cited was the fact that Thomas Hurdle, who's a fellow Czechian, is there. And he, as he said, one of the best centers in the NHL, and he's a fellow countryman. So even though he didn't really know Hurdle that well, He thinks that there's a good opportunity for them to play together. And I'm sure San Jose will try that. Whether that will stick, I have no idea, but they will try it. The top six in San Jose is wide open other than Couture and Hurdle. So he's got a pretty good opportunity. I guess maybe Barabanov is a little bit of a lock there. But overall, there's tons of opportunity there. And I think that there's some opportunity, even though I'm not super excited. There is a 200. He's right around the 200 NHL gameplay threshold. So, you know, I think he's 
potentially primed for a breakout, how high that is, I don't know. But I think if I had a deep enough league and I wasn't super worried about roster flexibility in terms of like, can I can I go ahead and sacrifice that roster spot? If it doesn't work out, I would definitely add him speculatively. But if I was like in a super competitive and I needed to like stream that spot, I'm not sh- sure that I would do it. But in a cap league, you got to like that cap hit. It's pretty low, right? So you, you take that shot and I think you you see where it goes. Pete, what do you think about the Zadina speculative ad there? So for me, it's all about value, right? And if you're in like, say the Dauber Prospects League entry draft that's coming up, and he'll qualify. What's our, our prospect threshold? What draft is he going to be in? In the hundred. So he's not a prospect. So he's an NHL guy. So he's a player in an 18 team league with a full bench. I mean, that's basically cutting the NHL in half. So if you cut the NHL in half, would he still be an NHL player? For me, the answer is no. But that's based on how he's played to date and when he was in Detroit and where the value is going to come in with him if you can pick him in a league is you'd be drafting him in that value range from what he's come from in Detroit with the hope and promise of he's going to find a new lease on life in San Jose. He'll be unleashed, whatever, you know, play with his countrymen and turn into what we all thought he would be when he was drafted six overall. So what you're hoping for here is the Sam Bennett effect, right? Sam Bennett was similar draft pedigree player played in Calgary was misutilized and was really not even fantasy relevant. I mean, he was just not good. And then he goes to Florida and all of a sudden it's great. Right. So that's kind of what you're hoping for with Zadina. I'm not too optimistic about it. I wouldn't shoot a higher, a high round pick on him. I would draft him with the expectation that he'll do what he did in Detroit, but the hope that he'll Sam Bennett it and explode. The thing to remember, too, about Sedina is he's still only 23 years old. Right. And he's got a chip on his shoulder from everything I've read. And, you know, the, the Sharks give him a one-year prove-it deal. This, is, this might be his last chance before heading over to Europe. All right. So that's one former Red Wings player that's on the move that we've talked about. Let's talk about another one. We're looking at Donovan Sobrango here. He's 12% rostered on all Fantrax leagues, and he's been moved on to the Ottawa Senators. He's a six foot one, 194 left shot defenseman. He was drafted in 2020 in the third round by Detroit. And his development curve has been really interesting, right? He's a third round pick. So in the draft, his stock was good, but not great. But then the COVID season happened and he couldn't go back to the OHL. So Detroit found a spot for him in Grand Rapids in a slightly watered down version of the AHL. And he played a season as a 19-year-old there. And because he played over 35 games that season, he was able to return to the American Hockey League and played another full season, his draft plus two year, 65 games in the American Hockey League again as a 19-year-old. So 19 years old, and he's already got two seasons of American Hockey League development under his belt. And he looked pretty good in that league too. He also made the World Junior roster for Canada and was a leader for that team. So he split last year, his D plus three season between the American Hockey League and the East Coast Hockey League, which kind of looks like regression. I'm not sure I see him as him as a regressing player so much because I think he's been pretty consistent throughout his career as a professional. But my concern is I'm just not seeing the development, right? I'm not sure the arrow is pointing down, but it's sure not pointing up. And I think that's why he became... One of the reasons why he became expendable in the Detroit system is he was getting passed over on the depth chart by the likes of guys like Simon Edvinson and Wallander and Shai Buyum and Johansson. And then the Wings just went ahead and drafted Axel Sandin Pelica, who already seeds way above him on the depth chart day one. So a change of scenery is going to help with Serbrango here. He's moving back closer to home in Ottawa. He was picked up by the Sens in the Debrinket trade. So he'll get a fresh start. And I don't think he should have a problem holding down a roster job in the American Hockey League with the Belleville Senators. His competition goes from being all those guys in Detroit that I mentioned. And so now he'll be competing with the likes of Jacob Bernard Docker, Lassie Thompson and Tyler Clevin. Much easier competition to be a call up to the NHL roster spot. I think his biggest competition there is probably Tyler Clevin because they both play that similar 
mobile, physical, big defensive defenseman kind of game. So if the Sens are looking for a player like that, it'll come between one of these two guys. And Sobrango's got a little bit of age and experience advantage right now. So I like the move for the Kingston native, but not sure I see an NHL player here. If he does make it, his fantasy upside will be strictly limited to leagues with hits and blocks. Evan, you, you're a Red Wings writer for Dauber Prospects, so you might have a, a small little sample size or take on Sobrango. Do you have a, do you got a two cents you want to chip in on Sobrango? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head there, Pete. You know, if you're a left-handed defenseman in the Wings prospect pool who's not named Evanson, Johansson, or Waylander, you might as well just jump out of the pool and go straight home. This guy is so far down the depth chart. He doesn't project to do much offensively. He's still young, but his it seems like there was a little regression with him splitting time between the AHL and the uh, East, East Coast Hockey League t- with the Toledo Walleyes. He was expendable, and, you know, I guess – I, don't, I honestly thought the Red Wings were going to have to give up a lot more and that to bring a trade. Sobrango was not a name that was on anyone's radar at the time because he is so down the depth chart. I think he may get a cup of coffee in the NHL, but right now, to me, he looks like a prospect. He just looks like a depth player in the organization. But again, like I said, he's still young, so we'll see what happens. You never know. Yeah, what do you think, Victor? Yeah, well, I actually wrote the... Detroit Red Wings section in the Dower Prospects report. So I did have some thoughts on Sobrango. As you both mentioned, in Detroit, it was a lot more bleak. And outside of leagues that bang, that have blocks and shots, I don't think he's that interesting. So I think his bash could be really good. And I think that he has some decent NHL certainty, but I don't think the upside is high. When I was thinking about his comp, I had to really think hard about this. And I came up with Ryan Lindgren. And I think that's a reasonable comp because he's someone who can play you know is he like a top pairing definitely not is he your second pairing guy like not on a good team but you know maybe third pairing or like more like a seven eight d is more reasonable for where he could be so he could get some playing time he'll hit some people he's can play in the league and put up some numbers and that give you some points but not actual points and <laughs> like fantasy points not too many goals and assists so I think if you keep your expectations low, Sobrango could be sort of interesting. All right, so let's move on to the next guy that we have to talk about, and that is Artemi Kanayazev. And he was a 2019 second-round pick by the Sharks. He was traded to Winnipeg for Leon Gavanke's rights, who will come up later. He's a six foot 181-pound left-handed D, 14% rostered on fan tracks. He's now 22 years old. I think the big thing about Kanayazev is that he's been leapfrogged by many in the San Jose organization already. There's a Nikolai Kanijov, and I, it's, I've actually heard from people who straight up thought Kanijov was the same person as Kanayazev. They are not. And Kanijov <laughs> kind of came out of nowhere and just, you know, became an NHLer. He was injured this past season. That's why no one saw him. But Kanayazev was someone that had a little bit more promise. You know, the Mario Ferraros jumped him, the Jake Middleton's jumped him, jumped over him in terms of the pecking order. So it's been a little disappointing for him. He's had two seasons down the AHL where he's been pretty good. And the Barracuda have been not great, but he's had half point per game seasons in the AHL. Remember, there was the Ryan Merkley thing happening where he was getting a lot of the power play time. So Najib didn't really get that. He's a really good skater. He's only played one NHL game. I think the big thing here with trading him to Winnipeg is that I think the Sharks just really wanted a right-handed shot. And I think Gavanke needed a new location and Kanaizev being a lefty shot and also kind of wanting a new change of scenery. It just made sense to kind of swap the two. In terms of Kanaizev's upside, he's kind of been trending down since being drafted. Didn't have a super high star potential. And it's kind of a 50-50 shot at this point to even be an NHLer. Most of his comps aren't super exciting, but one that I think is reasonable is Scott Hannon, who was also a Sharks draft pick. And he was just a defensive defenseman who had a little bit more snarl, I would say, that Kanayazev does. And so he's maybe like a Scott Hannon light in terms of like aggressiveness and physicality, but I think probably a better skater. And if you look at, we had Jacob Stoller on in our preview, on our report number five, and he's the AHL sort of guru, and he does these player cards, and he lists Kanayazev as a pretty high game score, 89%, you know, really good in a lot of categories, like driving play, coursey, shots, scoring chances. Corsi against not so good in hits and blocks. So his bash is going to be a little bit lower, but 
I think there's a player who has a decent probability to be in NHL just based on his mobility and his skating, but probably a 20 to 30 point guy with poor bash, which is not someone that's super exciting in most leagues, but I mean, you never know. Like he's someone who could run a power play. He's certainly probably not going to be your top choice on a team, certainly not on a team with Josh Morrissey, but I mean, you never know. Things can happen. But yeah, maybe like a second or third pairing guy that could run a second power play. Maybe he gets a few more points in that. But there's a lot of ifs and maybes there, Pete. I don't know how excited you are with him. I would be interested to have him in a deep enough league just because he's close to being NHL ready and like that. But I think you should temper your expectations. What do you think about Kanaija? Not very much, to be really honest with you. I mean, you're talking about a 2030 potential point upside, but not supported by Bash. So his offensive production is not really going to move the needle enough to make him particularly interesting. And he's not going to support it with peripheral stats. So, I mean, for most of the leagues that I'm in, if I got a defenseman who's not scoring, he better be loading up the other categories, right? He better be fueling my hits and blocks and penalty minutes categories because if he's not providing offense then you know i i'll just i dump him for a defenseman that's going to get me 80 hits and i'll take that over a non-producing player that's basically just filling a roster spot that's the value for him i think he's he'll fill a roster spot if you're in a cap league and you're just jammed and you need like an entry-level contract guy that's less than a million bucks to make your roster legal then i'd consider him that's about it. So let's move on. Let's talk about another guy here. I mentioned him in the ramblings that I did for for Ian on the Dauber hockey site. And that's Noel Hoffenmeyer. So he's only 8% fan tracks rostered. And he was signed as a free agent by the Edmonton Oilers. And who he is, he's a six foot 190 left shot defenseman. He was drafted by Arizona Coyotes in 2017. Only in the fourth round, though. So he's like a mid-round guy, and he you know, never was signed by the Coyotes. So he went back in the draft and was undrafted after he finished his OHL career with the Ottawa 67s. He did go on and sign some AHL contracts and played, you know, most recently last season with the Toronto Marlies. And he was their best defenseman. And he led the team in, in scoring for D with 38 points in 65 games. And he led the team, I think the team anyways, in penalty minutes with 114. And I went to a couple Marley's games and he was pretty clearly their number one defenseman, you know, getting all the minutes and all the ice time, all the situations. He signed his entry level contract with Edmonton, as I said, but my expectation is that he's going to play in the season or at least most of it with Bakersfield back in the American Hockey League. But the Oilers have pretty poor prospect pool on defense. Like it's weak. He's got little to no competition as a potential recall. And a good comparison that I have for Hoffenmeyer is Darren Radish. Both had great OHL careers, posting up elite numbers in juniors. Radish was part of the Connor McDavid Erie Otters, and you know, he was the defenseman of the year in the OHL in that one of those seasons. An undrafted guy who made it as a free agent and when Tampa Bay had injuries in the playoffs this past season against the Leafs, he was one of the injury relief guys that came up from the Black Aces and played some meaningful minutes for Tampa Bay in the playoffs. And, you know, he had moments where he got beat, and, but he had some moments where he looked pretty good and he was making a difference. And I saw him play in the American Hockey League live a couple times last year, too. And he was Syracuse number one defenseman. And I saw a lot of similarities between what Radish did and then is now on the cusp of making the NHL as a bottom journeyman defenseman. But I see Hoffenmeyer as a very similar comparable there. So what you could be getting here is as a decent free agent or waiver claim in deep leagues. For now, I'd probably, unless it's super deep, I'd probably just keep him on your watch list for now. But it's a name to keep in mind if you start getting some injuries throughout the year. He's a guy that could get recalled and playing all the Edmonton Oilers. There's a couple of guys there that can really help pad your stats if you give them the puck. So he's a deep cut, Victor. Do you have any intel on Noel Hoffenmeyer? Do you have any interest in this player? I mean, he's, he's one I definitely don't know as well as you do. And so that was that's some pretty great insight on what's going on with him. I remember I noticed him doing so well in terms of like just numbers that pop up. And if you look at, you know, Toronto's system previously, it was like, whoa, who's this guy that has 
he's amazing. I didn't really know much about him. So he definitely is a bit older and has been, you know, kind of bouncing around a little bit. And some of the people I talked to was like, eh, yeah, I don't know if he has like the skating or it sounded like there were some issues that, that thought that maybe he'd be a, continue to be a journeyman. But like, as you suggested, going to a different organization, getting a different opportunity like Darren Radish, I think there's a possibility there. And I'm always interested in these guys that are just right there, you know, like one thing could break right for them. And all of a sudden they're, they're in the league and they're putting up stats. And so if you're a competitive team who just needs, you know, bodies and you can flex them into your roster, especially if there's not a games played limit, these kind of guys are gold because you can use them for that time. And if they don't really pop or do much after that, you just drop them once they hit your games played limit. So I like having guys like this. And Noel Hofenmeyer does interest me a little bit, especially going to Edmonton where there's more opportunity. So yeah, a little bit of mild interest there for sure. Plus he's got a cool last name, Hoffenmeyer. It reminds me of that old Bugs Bunny cartoon with Yosemite Sam is, is the king and he wants his rabbit stew. He's called it Hassenfapa. I do not remember that one, but that is a good story. <laughs> I was I thinking of Hasselhoff. That sounded pretty cool to me. Knight Rider. Maybe you guys know that one. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Hoff. Big That's deal what you call him. Yeah, he's Hoff. a big deal in Germany. He should go to Germany and people could mistake him for, for the Hoff. Because he's a rock star over there. He probably would do pretty well in the DEL as well. Leon Gavanke is our new next guy that we're going to talk about. And he is German. So there you go. He's someone that we've actually talked about a few times and we didn't really mean to bring him up again. But it just so happened, as I mentioned previously, that he was in that trade with San Jose for Artemi Knaizev. And... I think it was pretty clear that Gavanke had sort of worn out his welcome in Winnipeg and he was frustrated that he wasn't getting the opportunity to play. He played the better part of four seasons in the AHL for the Manitoba Moose. And I think he thought that he should have been getting some NHL opportunities and he has none. He literally has not played in the NHL. So I think he's frustrated by that. He was an RFA, so they he was going to head back to Germany and play there. But with the trade. And I think it sounds like there was some pre-discussions because as soon as they traded him to San Jose, he signed. And so he will be with San Jose. And it sounds like he's going to probably start in the AHL though. But at least in San Jose, there is a ton of opportunity to, you know, maybe get a call up, especially if and when Eric Carlson gets traded. So they got a right-handed D, which is certainly something they need a little bit more. They have also a lot of lefties in their lineup. They've routinely played lefties on the right side because they just don't have enough right-handed D. So that's been an issue for the Sharks. So they get a right-handed D who's pretty NHL-ready, who the Sharks have you know, maybe a couple of actual NHL defensemen, even on their NHL roster. So they have tons of opportunity to be able to let him prove himself and get some shots there. In terms of Gavanke's equivalency, it looks not great. I mean, he looks pretty much the only guy he looks like in this model is the guy named Matt Hunwick, who was the replacement level producer drafted by Boston. That's not a huge vote of confidence, but looking at Jacob Stoller's cards that he puts out, as I mentioned previously, he has a 91% game score. And most of his metrics look really good in terms of goals, shots, Corsi for, Corsi against. Unfortunately, the other thing that is really not good about Gavanke is he doesn't hit or block like hardly at all. So his shots are great, but his hits and blocks are pretty low compared to league average. And so he was a top pairing defenseman in the AHL, though. So, you know, maybe he can be at least like a middle or bottom pairing in the NHL. And I think there's more opportunity here. And I think that it's possible. Again, I'm not expecting much, but the fact that he's got a chance to play and potentially have a decent role on a bad team. You know, I mean, the Sharks are going to be bad, I think, but they will score some points and he might get in on them if he gets into the NHL. So the only reason I want to bring him back up again is that his situation has completely shifted and he is now looking at some potential NHL time. And depending on how things go this year, he just signed a one year deal at league minimum, pushing his RFA year one more year. And so the Sharks have his rights. And maybe he can make an NHL career out of himself where it was looking pretty bleak in Winnipeg. Pete has the, what is this, the third time we've talked about Gavanke? Has this changed? Has your opinion changed on him at all? Nope. He wasn't getting the time or the opportunity in Winnipeg. And in his mind, he thought that was a slight against him and that he should be given the opportunity. And then he was better than the guys that were getting the opportunities in Winnipeg. 
and kind of demanded a trade and said that he wouldn't go back and play for that organization. So that's pretty, pretty bold statements. And Winnipeg went ahead and traded him. So now it's time to put his money where his mouth is and produce and play his way out of into the NHL and out of the American Hockey League roster and be relevant. Otherwise, he's just not someone I have any time for. So until he proves otherwise, that's what I'm seeing with him. He's got an opportunity in San Jose. So the situation has changed. So, you know, there's a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! I'd feel a little bit more excited about him if he had some peripheral stats to support the lackluster offense I think we're going to get out of him. So this is what I don't understand about your take, though. And I respect your take. But if he is literally knocking on the NHL doorstep and you have a league with 30 minor spots, you really think there are 30 guys that are going to play in the NHL more likely than him this season? Because I think he's worth at least a roster spot to see. He's going to put up some, if he plays, he's going to put up some numbers. It may not be good, but you get some numbers, you can flex them into that spot and you get the year to kind of figure it out. As opposed to if you just watch and see like someone's going to take him, right? So he's not going to be available later if he's interesting. And if he's not and he doesn't do much, then yeah, you drop him. So that's, I mean, I just, that's my take on it. I don't, I understand like not the long-term interest because yeah, he hasn't right. really done anything to prove this, but like, yeah, it's speculative, like see what he does, get him while he does his things in the minor and flex them up and then drop them. Yeah. I mean, if I'm in a league that has 50 players, right? So 23 NHL players are roster players and then 27 prospects, I'm picking him in the 40 plus range. So he's like one of my last one of my last picks, guys that I take. And then, you know, it's you're hoping for the change of scenery. It's a value pick, right? If you can get him with the value where he's been buried in the American Hockey League and people have given up waiting on him, and now he's got to change the scenery and that that changes the value and the dynamic, then still picking him in that late round, if he breaks that mold, then there's going to be value there, right? And if he doesn't, if he's just more of the same, which is kind of what I'm suspecting that he'll be, then you haven't really risked anything significant, right? You haven't overreached for him. That's just my opinion on Gavon Kayan. I might be underselling him. But you're talking about you're talking about drafts. I'm talking about like a dynasty leagues where he's probably available. And usually these leagues lock over the summer. And then you can have a waiver claim when they open up. You know, not talking about, we're talking about established leagues where, you know, I mean, the way I usually run my leagues is with my roster, minors roster is like some guys are a little bit close. Some guys are a little bit further away, something in the middle, right? So you have like a mixture of guys that are a little bit here and there. And this is, I don't really care about Gavanke. I'm just interested in your thought process here because it's different from mine. But, you know, I like having some guys that are close, whether or not they're going to be that good because I can just see what they do and then drop them. And so, you know, not thinking about draft or whatever, but just like if he's available as a free agent, I don't really understand leaving him because he's so close to NHL ready, as opposed to you have plenty of space on your roster for some guys who are close and some guys are farther away and some guys are in the middle. And, you know, some of the guys that are close may be good. I mean, maybe you're lucky enough to have like a Luke Hughes and Connor Bedard, but like, obviously that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about some guys that you can just move up and down into your roster. So I mean, that's just how I like to construct my roster. It sounds like you're thinking of totally differently, though. No, I was thinking more along the lines of drafts. Maybe that's because we we're just talking about our dynasty league that we're going to start. So in an established league, if he's available as a free agent and I have a prospect vacancy, which I wouldn't because I am I gobble up these kids like they're candy. <laughs> so the challenge would be if I wanted to add Gavanke now that he's been traded to San Jose and he's no longer in NHL exile, who am I going to drop? Right? Like, cause I got a, a roster limit. So I got to drop someone and that's the challenge for me there. Right. Who am I going to drop? Cause I'm already invested in the guys on my roster. I've already been waiting on them or I've spent draft capital on them. So, you know, I like them, obviously that's why they're on my roster. So it would be, a question of, do I have someone, like if I had Ben Goudreau on my roster, I would drop Ben Goudreau for Gavanke because they're trending in different directions, right? Goudreau was unsigned by San Jose, undrafted as a redraft player, and who knows what his future is, right? And he could still ev- develop and turn into an NHL goalie when he's in his late 20s or early 30s a la tim thomas but i'm not going to wait 10 years on a maybe like 
your cut buddy. Now I'm going to my watch list and I'm looking at who's available on my watch list. And Kavanki, if he's on my watch list, would be someone who I would consider. And if he didn't make the team, then I would consider someone else. Like if he doesn't make the Sharks out of training camp, because he's probably not waiver eligible, then I'm done. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear where your line is, because I think, you know, everyone, everyone manages things differently. And he is not waivers exempt, but he sounds like he's going to start in the minors. So. I mean, to me, I would just, I would keep him and just kind of see, but you're right. Like someone who's farther away, the Ben Goodrow is a perfect example, but someone who's really far away from being NHL ready is probably the person I would sacrifice if I was willing to make that gamble. But that's just a general thought of like, yeah, I want some guys that will put up some numbers and I can flex up and down. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Let's move on and talk about Frederick Olofsson. I don't think we've talked about it all on the podcast. So he is a 13% rostered player on Fantrax, and he was picked up by the Colorado Avalanche. He's a six foot two, 196 forward left wing center sort of dual eligible and he's 27 years old now so maybe that's why we never talked about on the show because it's a prospect show but he's a swede as the you might have determined from his name but he has developed in north america right he played in the ushl and full a full four-year ride in the ncaa was drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks in 2014 in the fourth round, so a mid-round guy. And then wasn't signed after his college ride. And he was signed, went to Sweden, actually. After developing in North America, he went and played three seasons, starting around COVID, three seasons in Europe. And in his third season in the SHL, he was about a point a game player. So pretty good. Got the attention of NHL scouts, made Sweden's Olympic team and played six games in the Olympics as well. Only one assist there. And Dallas signed him last year. So he comes back to North America, plays 28 games in the NHL and 37 games in the American Hockey League. It's about a half a point a game player, not even a half a point a game player in the American Hockey League and had four points in 28 games with Dallas. So not really moving the needle on the fantasy radar. Now he's signed by Colorado Avalanche and his quality of competition among the prospects in that organization is much easier than it was in Dallas, right? Dallas has done a really great job of drafting and developing. They've got a pretty flush prospect system, whereas Colorado is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? And our organizational rankings, they were a late 20, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, he's got a good opportunity and with Landeskog, he's out for like the whole season, right? With Landeskog injured, that opens up a left wing position. Everyone on the depth chart moves up one spot in the queue, and that opens up a bottom six opportunity for Olofsson, which I think is exactly why they signed him. It's a one-year deal. So he should be good for about a hit a game and a shot per game, and he could score you up to 20 points which does not make him particularly fantasy relevant outside of the deepest capped leagues, where basically what he would be a cheap roster filler. If you've got cap problems in your dynasty league and you're having difficulties filling out your forward, flushing out your forward roster, he would be a guy that on a net cheap deal would be worth adding in that situation. I think that's about it for me because he's 27. I mean, he is what he is. It's a one-year deal. This is definitely not a long-term play. There is not significant upside on this file. Victor, am I more enthusiastic about Victor Olofsson than, or sorry, Frederick Olofsson than you are? You were doing a good job of tempering expectations. And I think that's what people should do. He is definitely someone who seems like can play in the league, but he's yeah. he's past his prime. I don't Like you said, I don't think you can expect anything different from him of what he already is. And so he is what he is, and he's not that interesting fantasy-wise. I mean, everyone always thinks like, oh, well, if you play with you know good players in the Colorado system, then yeah, maybe you can do something. And that's true. But like realistically, even some really good players, like I would say Alex Kerfoot is a pretty good player, and he did not much there. <laughs> you know, we've seen some other JT Comfer do not much points-wise, and those are 
far superior players, I would say, than Frederick Olofsson. So, yeah, I mean, plug and play. Maybe he does something. Maybe he goes on a little run, but I doubt it. So let's move on to the next guy. I'm a little bit more interested in Riley Walsh, and he is a third 2017 third round pick by New Jersey, six foot, 185 pound right handed D, 25% rostered on fan tracks. He's now 24 years old, and he was traded to his rights were traded to Boston. You know, New Jersey was looking around and they have a lot of great young defensemen. You know, they have obviously Luke Hughes and Simone Nemich and there's Seamus Casey. There's some really good players there. And Riley Walsh is another one, but he's a different sort of profile. And they also have some pretty good NHL defensemen already. His analytics underlying look really good. He's he looks like he looked like a star in the making when he was at Harvard. He was, you know, putting up point per game seasons. He transitioned to the AHL pretty well. He had two seasons with 40 points and roughly 70 games in the AHL. So he's someone who's basically NHL ready. He played one NHL game, exactly one last season. And so he hasn't really had the opportunity, but he goes to Boston where we talked about their prospect pool. It's ugly. It's terrible. There isn't really much there. They didn't have any high picks this year. Didn't get much better. And in the AHL, looking at Stoller's card, Riley Walsh looks like a stud. And unlike some of the other guys we talked about, not only are his scoring numbers good, his Corsi and assists, but also his hits and blocks look great. So Riley Walsh is someone with a high bash floor. And I think he's ready to step into the league if the Bruins have an opportunity for him. I'm not exactly sure if that's going to happen or not. But there wasn't room in Jersey. There is a little bit more room in Boston. I don't expect him to take over you know the power play or anything like that but you know he's going to a good team if he gets nhl looks i'm definitely way more excited about riley walsh than i was leon gavanke so can you at least meet me there pete yeah i got time for this player i think there's i think there's upside and opportunity here he's only 24 years old he's not that small he's six feet 185 right so he's not like he's a dwarf out there and he's put up back-to-back 40-plus point seasons in the American Hockey League. So he's consistent offensive and playing full seasons, right? Like, he's not an injury liability. Yeah, I think, and going to to Boston, you know, they just don't have a prospect pool that's going to have as much roster blockers as he had coming in the New Jersey system. And he's got some pedigree on his file, right? He's drafted in the third round, so maybe not there, but He's produced at every level he's played at that he's had an opportunity and he's only got one NHL game in his career and he scored in that game. He had an assist. So, yeah, I got time for this player. I, if I was in a league and he was a free agent, I would definitely be interested in adding him on in that situation. I would even draft him as well. So let's shift gears here and let's talk about forward. We've done a couple defense here. Rasmus Kapari is only 32% Fantrax rostered and he's moving up to Winnipeg. So he's a six foot two, 201 pound wing center, dual positional eligible guy. He's a first round pick 20th overall by the LA Kings. And he was acquired in the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. He's played four seasons with the Kings in their system, kind of floating between the American Hockey League and the National Hockey League. He's never really seized an NHL role above a fourth line guy. As I said, he was traded to the Jets in the Dubois trade in a deal that was really quantity over quality. So I think the Los Angeles Kings got the quality with Dubois. And the Winnipeg Jets went for quantity, getting multiple players like Gabe Velarde and Alex Iafallo. Velarde could be, could end up being the best player in that whole trade. Here's a guy who was having a hard time cracking it in LA. Now he's going to Winnipeg. Do we like his chances more or less? So what he is, he's a decent source for hits and face-off wins from the wing. If your league counts that, if that's important in your league. But his offensive production, it's just really not fantasy relevant. So the outlook with Kapari is pretty neutral to what it was in L.A. I mean, I don't really like his opportunity to get a better top six role in Winnipeg. You know, with Velarde and Ayafalo coming over with him, there's two players that are already ahead of him on the depth chart, plus whoever Winnipeg already has on their depth chart ahead of him. 
So, you know, I'm thinking he is what he is after four seasons of pro development. This is not a player who I see breaking out and becoming a more offensive top six kind of guy. He's not waivers exempt. He is a currently restricted free agent in need of a contract. So there's even a chance that this is a player who, you know, could end up out of the NHL sooner than later, finding a home in back home in Finland. You know, he's 32% rostered there, Victor. What's what's your take on Kupari? Yeah, I understand why LA traded him. I think that he's someone who has had a really hard time adapting to the NHL. I think that most of his numbers have looked a, a little a little bit, you know, underwhelming, a little bit wanting. He, he is someone who, you know, has looked pretty decent in his AHL time, but that hasn't seemed to be able to translate into the NHL and the Kings are a good team and they have such a stacked prospect pool. But in his limited NHL minutes, he has been underwhelming in terms of his defensive and offensive production. So I'm not super excited with him. He also doesn't really shoot. Like if you get one shot from Rasmus Kupari, you're lucky. And those playmakers, those archetypes that are playmakers that don't really shoot much have a really difficult time being fantasy relevant because there's so much volatility in their production when they don't shoot. Yeah, I'm a little bit lower on him, but I certainly would be interested to see what the Jets are doing. And if they give him an opportunity, there's worse options out there. So we already talked about Ian Mitchell on a previous episode in terms of guys we were higher and lower on. And I pointed out previously that the 2017 second round pick by Chicago was really terrible defensively in his underlying metrics, like literally the worst in the evolving hockey sample size. And he's now 24 years old. He does go to Boston, who has... You know, there's more opportunity, as we just talked about with Riley Walsh. And I do think that there's some defensive structure there that can help him, maybe a better partner. But I'm just not sure that it's enough to make an NHL quality defenseman out of Ian Mitchell. So I would be very hesitant to put a gamble on Ian Mitchell. But, you know, there's maybe something there. And if you were into him, then I think you like this change for sure, which I think you were a little bit more into him. Right, Pete? Yeah, I've you know, I've been higher on him and before. In the past, but sooner or later, you got to turn some of that potential into production. He's got an opportunity in Boston as well, like we talked about with the previous guy. That he's there's just more opportunity in Boston because they've got less prospects. So this is a good second chance for him, and he really needs to seize it. We mentioned earlier on at the beginning of the podcast, Elias Anderson throwing his silver medal into the stands at the World Juniors after he received it. So let's talk about him. He's seventeen percent. Fantrax rostered, and he's getting another opportunity now with Montreal Canadiens. 5'11", 185, drafted in the first round, seventh overall by the Rangers. And you might remember him from such instances like throwing his medal into the stands, demanding a trade from the New York Rangers, or possibly not getting a qualifying offer from the Los Angeles Kings. It's not very often you see a top 10 pick burn out as bad as it seems like Lias Anderson is doing and not even reaching 200 games played. This is his third organization in his NHL career. His career stat line is 110 games, seven goals, 10 assists, and 122 hits. Not currently expected to crack the Canadians roster on opening night. And unless he has like a monster training camp, then he has an opportunity. But I I don't think anyone has him penciled in on the Habs depth chart to start the season. So he's going to start the year in Laval, and then he'd have to clear waivers to go down and he likely would, but he'd have to go through waivers to come back up again and play in the NHL. He signed a one-year contract. He's a guy I wouldn't be surprised if after this contract is over, he's end up going over to Europe. I don't really see a future for him with the Canadians. It's not very promising as they have a really strong prospect pool. Quite frankly, the outlook here is bleak. And if you're still part of the 17% that's rostering Lias Anderson, I think it's time to cut bait. Victor, am I missing something on this guy? Do you do you have a take on Elias Anderson? I think he should have kept his silver medal. That was maybe the highlight. That was the career. peak of his career. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, hey, he's better than all of us. So you're great, Elias, but not in terms of like fantasy production and NHL contributions. I think, yeah, he's, I mean, great. Good for him if he makes an NHL career out of it, but I don't think he's someone that you're ever going to, like you said, those 17 percenters, are those inactive GMs? Are those people that abandon their teams? Like, what, what is going on? I don't know that he's someone that has much upside anymore at this point. So, 
Yeah, time to move along, I think. Speaking of moving along, I think that we're pretty much done here for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Dauber Prospects Report, the 14th report, Players on the Move. If you have an interest in chatting with any of us, we're all on Twitter. You can give us feedback there at DPR underscore show at Farling, P-H-A-R-L-I-N-G, at Victor Nuno 12 and at Sabarin 91. Don't forget to follow the Hockey Pod Net and all the great podcasts on that network. There's some good shows in there. And if you're so inclined, please go ahead, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or the podcast aggregator of your choice. Drop that five-star review. It really helps the show. If you see us posting the show on Twitter, go ahead and give it a retweet as well there. Any parting thoughts from either of you guys there, Evan or Victor? Real quick, Pete, have you ever, are you a big poutine fan? Who isn't? Well, I came across this today and it really made me think of you in Sook, British Columbia. It's called the 17 Mile Pub. You ever been to Sook, British Columbia? No. Yes or no? Okay. Well, they have all these different kinds of poutines ranging from $12 to $15, and they have a maple leaf's poutine. And this is how it's described. In usual leaf's fashion, a cold, overpriced dish served underperforming gravy, ice cold fries, and a side of disappointment. Now, that's not the kicker. The kicker is, like I told you, all these things are between $12, $15. Maple Leafs poutine goes for $67. Any significance there? Yeah, I can, I can think of one. Okay, I just had to get that in. I had to get in a shot today because I felt like I got busted. Well, as delicious as that sounds, I'll stick with my favorite, which would be pulled pork poutine. And if you haven't had it, what are you waiting for? All right. <laughs> sounds good. That's it for this episode, everyone. Thanks very much for listening. Keep your stick on the ice. Where are you boys headed? Canada. Canada. We're going over the border to Canada for some french fries and gravy, sir. Poutine. Canada, huh? Almost made it. Let's do that hockey.